Hello, and welcome to the Story Wagon Podcast, where we talk about life, story, and spiritual health. I am your host, Chaplain Jose Martinez, and you can learn more about this podcast at our website, storywagon.org. You can also show us your support on our Patreon page so that we can continue to host this podcast and create resources that help our communities develop good spiritual health. Welcome. Well, welcome again, everybody. This is uh, Story Wagon. This is part two of the conversation that we had about spiritual care and the LGBTQ community. So we have uh, Dion and Leandra here with us, along with my co-host, Amy, the Reverend Amy Shoemaker uh, from Broadway Church. And um, I'm just going to kick off with a question. So my question is to you, Dion and Leandra, is um, how does a person know if they are an ally? Um, I question this because to me, a person can't call themselves an ally. Uh, it takes another person to say, yes, you are an ally. So how, how does a person know like to be in order to be an ally? You know, I know it's a weird question, but that's my question. <laughs> so um, like we talked about in the first segment, we talked about welcoming and affirming. A good ally is not only welcoming of the person, but they affirm that God has created that person to be who they are. So that means that you walk alongside them in their choices of who they love. Um, and just to be a, a, a rock for them. Um, because being LGBTQ is already hard. <laughs> so having an ally that walks with you and does not sway from your beliefs and your love, um, I think that's a good ally. And to stand and advocate um, for the LGBTQ community uh, makes a good ally. And just, just, hey, I'm here with you. It doesn't matter to me who you love because it doesn't matter to you who I love. So let's be this together um, and, and ally, just to be uh, supportive, a supportive person, supportive presence. Um, I was sitting here trying to think of an answer for that question. And I have to be honest with you, I really don't know um, if I can tell you if you're an ally. I think that being an ally is something that you have to know. And I don't know if I can help you know that. The only thing that I can do is uh, tell you what maybe I want from you or maybe something that I expect from you. But being, but being an ally and truly affirming someone that's something that you have to feel and to know for yourself because I don't know your heart. Um, all I can do is, like I said, tell you uh, what what I need from you um, because there are people, just like with anything, there are people that can say that they're affirming or say that they're supportive or anything like that, and they really try, but um, they're uh, feeling a little perplexed in their spirit about some certain things still. Um, so I think, how do you know that uh, you are affirming and you are an ally? I think that's something that you have to know and you have to understand for yourself. Yeah, I feel like there's a really important bit of inner work that allies need to do that doesn't get talked about enough, which is, you know, I'm I'm standing here as a queer person saying that I am fully beloved 
by God. And I believe that with every ounce of my being. And so for you to be fully affirming of me, you have to do that inner work of not only having yourself full of affirmation for me, but yourself full of affirmation for yourself. So it's not just about, okay, what actions are you doing in the world? What, you know, what organizations are you donating to? And who are you voting for? And are you showing up, you know, at City Hall when there are LGBTQ issues on the agenda? You know, those are all wonderful, great things um, to be doing. And if we're having a conversation and you haven't done your inner work and something I say triggers you and makes you feel, you know, uncomfortable and, um, uh, you know, you take something personally that I have said, um, like, for example, um, you know, there's a lot of like, we all, I mean, I think we all kind of know in this room, at least that like a lot of bad stuff has been done by straight white men throughout history. Well, if I'm talking with a straight white man about the history of Christianity and the bad things that straight white men have done in the name of Christianity, it's an ally who is a straight cis man would not feel personally attacked by what I'm saying because they would have done their inner work to know that I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about people who looked like them from a time in the past. So that's just one small example. Um, and the other piece of that, I think, is about assumptions. So there's the piece, there's the inner work of, you know, fully loving ourselves and fully accepting and affirming ourselves in order to be able to affirm others so that someone else's difference from me is not a threat to me. Um, but then there's also this piece about assumptions, um, meaning that an ally doesn't make assumptions about a person's pronouns, about a person's sexual orientation. Like everyone you meet is a blank slate until you ask questions and they answer the questions. Um, you know, don't make the assumption that someone has a husband. Don't make the assumption that someone is uses she, her pronouns. Don't make the assumption that, um, you know, just don't make assumptions. Mm -hmm. Ask, ask the question. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Dion, sounds like looks like you have another thought. No, no, just I, I just was ready. agreeing. Awesome, agreeing. awesome, awesome. Yeah. So yeah, so allyship is a really challenging thing, and I would also say that like there's this at so like LGBTQ LGBTQ people, um, you know, people of color, like those of us who are fighting for our own rights and space on a daily basis are exhausted. Yes. We are particularly exhausted under the current administration. And I'm hearing a lot of, well, I don't have to teach you. It's not like, read a book. I shouldn't have to teach you about the queer experience. Like, I don't wanna be your token queer friend who like knows all the things and you call me whenever you have a question. Like there are a lot of people who are like, I'm not here for that. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm a pastor. I kind of have to be here for that. Right. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm totally cool with being like educational. And if I reach a limit, I will say, there's a really good book about this that you should right. read, <laughs> right? Like I just don't, 
I don't feel like we're really going to build allies and and call in allies if we're not willing to do a little to like meet them halfway a little yes. bit. Um, so I'm curious, like, you know, from the perspective of this ally conversation, are there resources that you all can think of that you know would be really helpful for folks who are like, okay, um, I like gay people, but I don't have any gay friends or trans friends or whatever, and like you know, let's assume they've lived in this, like, heteronormative bubble, you know, and they want to learn. Do you have any suggestions or ideas about where to go or what to do? I, I don't have, like, resources off the top of my head. But what I would say is kind of what you said earlier, is to ask the questions. Mm-hmm. No assumptions. Just ask, especially if, if someone's your friend or, or if you want to be an ally to someone, I think the best resource is to get it from the horse's mouth. Ask the question. Um, And then we as LGBTQ, again, have to be willing to say, okay, not everybody knows or everybody understands, so I will help you with this. Um, I think that, for me, that's just who I am. I want to know, I'm going to ask you. Um, And, you know, there's plenty of resources and books and things. but those of us who like you and I, Amy and Jose, who are pastors, that is a given. Somebody's going to ask you something that you have to, you know, be there for. So, yeah, I don't know if you have. <laughs> um, I know my wife gets tired of me sometimes because I'm always making up acronyms for things. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, I have made up an acronym for ASK um, because I believe the same thing. You know, if you want to know something, um, and I have a problem with that myself sometimes. I don't ask. I get to assuming things. I'm trying to get better with that. But um, I made up an acronym out of ASK, and it is always seek knowledge. And uh, so anytime you want to know something and uh, sometimes you can ask somebody and they're uncomfortable with answering. But um, there there are resources, like she said, not off the top of our head, but there's this technology highway with everything. You know, you can Google things, but a lot of that personal connection just to ask somebody, but just continue to seek knowledge any way you can, whether you're reading a book, whether you find a webinar, uh, listening to this podcast, or, um, you know, just any kind of way that you can. If you just always seek knowledge about what you want to know, I don't think you can go wrong because in that way you'll get um, perspective from a lot of different areas and a lot of different directions. So if we just, like my wife said, ask, don't be afraid to ask, but um, hopefully people won't be afraid to answer as well. Yeah, so um, asking, that's that's really a great thing. And to, in particular, to actively listen, you know, to, to acknowledge all their thoughts. Um, one of the other things that I, I think about, you know, in the chaplain world, especially in the military, we deal with a lot of uh, diverse faith backgrounds. And I, I intentionally ask people, um, I'm one of the few chaplains in our area that will do... Um, marriage uh, enrichment retreats that with same-sex couples there's some chaplains out there their denomination don't allow them to but fortunately with the disciples of christ i'm able to do that so (laughs) i make sure that i ask the persons that are there um about their relationship and then also their faith background because you know in the chaplaincy we we're chaplain to everybody and um i want to meet them where they're at 
and provide the best spiritual care I can. And sometimes uh, some of the folks have faith backgrounds that are conservative, um, that are not quite Christian. Um, so I, I'm wondering, have you experienced any anybody that, you know, like what are some of the issues, the spiritual health issues that you see from other faith backgrounds, people who are from the LGBTQ community? Um, that, what I've noticed is they stay in those glass closets. Um, glass closet meaning that just about everybody can see that you're part of this community, LGBTQ, but you're hiding yourself, um, and their religion or their belief is keeping them in um, those closets. Um, many, many Muslims um, are strong in that, you know, not only one man, one woman, but a woman with men, you know, not a, a woman with another woman or a man with a man, and it's almost a crime for them to uh, be same-gender loving mm. um, or transgender or anything else. So what, what I experience is a hiding of themselves um, because they're more dedicated to their religion um, than, them, than them being um, free within their spirits. So that's what we encounter, um, not necessarily... Um, a specific um, belief, but we hide. And the, the way we know that they're hiding is they won't, in our whosoever group on Facebook, mm -hmm. they don't do a lot of interacting where everybody else can see it. But if they see Lee and I, I saw what you said, it helped me. Um, I really love that group, I really love that space. Um, and we kind of know that if they were to be public about being interactive within a group that is seen as LGBTQ, that they would be um, excused, removed from their church affiliation. So that's what we see as hiding, or that's what I see. I uh, see one of the issues with different uh, religious backgrounds. Um, and when I say different religious backgrounds, I'm saying other than what I am, which is right now non-denominational or UCC. Um, so when I look at uh, from where I came from, which uh, was Baptist and uh, things like that, and my wife spoke about that on the first segment a little bit, is that um, being gay or part of the LGBTQ community in a black Baptist church or black uh, religious organization it was just not something that you could do. It was just something that you just could not be. And if you were, that was like the worst thing that you could ever be in your entire life. And with that stigma all over your head, um, like she was saying, people stay in that um, hiding. Um, but some of them don't look at it as hiding. They look at it as um, that's the place where um, I grew up. That's the place I feel okay. Um, and even though we have a ministry that deals with people who have been hurt by just sitting there, sometimes they're, um, they don't want to accept healing because the hurt is what's more familiar to them. Mm -hmm. And they're okay with that. Um, 
So uh, dealing with that type of of hurt is, I think, some of the a lot of the difficulty that she deals with because it's like she has to try to uh, talk to and help them to affirm themselves before they can allow someone else to affirm them. And sometimes that's the that's the hardest road. So that's where I find a lot of uh, of uh, difficulties in uh, different backgrounds. Yeah, I so. I'm thinking about this as a queer woman who is married to, I'm a queer woman who's a Christian pastor, and I am married to a queer woman who is Jewish. (laughs) 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 Um, And it may be surprising to hear that she has had similar hurtful experiences of Christianity to me. Like, our our hurtful experiences of Christianity are similar. Hers are different because she has two strikes against her. (laughs) Um, So whenever she encounters like fundamentalist or evangelical Christianity, um, not only is she an abomination because she's queer, but she's also going to hell because she's Jewish. So um, there's an extra, there's another sort of additional layer there Mm -hmm. to like the church hurt Mm -hmm. and the ways that she is continually um, not seen mm-hmm. in, I mean, Kansas City is a very Christian context. Yeah. Like we, when we were living in San Francisco, everyone said happy holidays <laughs> at the holidays. Mm-hmm. Here, a lot of people say Merry Christmas. Right. And it's like every single time someone says Merry Christmas, she feels erased a little bit mm-hmm. um, and has to say like, Happy Hanukkah, or (laughs) I'm Jewish, happy holidays, (laughs) No, So um, I'm I'm sharing this because um, there's a word, there are a couple of terms that I think could help inform our conversation, which is intersectionality, Mm -hmm. right? Meaning I am living at a particular intersection of different realities and different characteristics, and society views those a certain way. So I am white. I am queer, I am cisgender female, I am, you know, I have a certain socioeconomic status, which is, um, and then I have, you know, a religious, I'm Christian, but I'm a very particular, like, LGBTQ (laughs) affirming, like, quote unquote, progressive Christianity, if you want to call it that. Um, So, you know, all of those um, dynamics inform who I am and how I see the world. Um, another way to look at that is social location, mm-hmm. meaning where am I socially located? Mm-hmm. I am located at the intersection mm-hmm. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> of my gender, my sexual orientation, my socioeconomic status, my education level, my religion, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, one thing that I really would love to see happen in uh, a bigger, fuller way in our religious communities is this understanding of intersectionality and social location. Um, So I'm curious about how each of you sort of identifies or, you know, how have you identified what is your social location? Um, Well, we've got a lot, probably like (laughs) you. So to be a black female, LGBTQ community person, a spiritual leader, uh, a woman, um, that all intersects in not always a positive way. 
So it is difficult to move about in community um, when you have so much uh, going against you. Um, and what's most hurtful for me is that my community, quote unquote, the black community, are those who um, refuse to welcome me. Um, so even like when we speak of Black Lives Matter, um, I question, do all black lives matter to black lives? Because I'm a black woman who happens to be married to a black woman. But in the context of church and spirituality, we are not we are not welcomed and we are not loved as black people. So it, the intersectionality is I mean, intersectionality is. It's a long list um, and we have to navigate through each of those. So, you know, it might be good on one spectrum. Hey, you're a black lesbian. Um, that might be good for someone um, to see someone like themselves, but it can also be very hurtful and it's very hurtful within my own community. Um, we, we are members of a white UCC church um, and we're the only black members there, but why? Because our own communities, our own spiritual communities will not welcome us. So, and that's why I planted whosoever as well. <laughs> yes. Uh, I guess I just have to pretty much piggyback off of what she was saying um, about being that, you know, all of those, you know, being a black woman, being a woman, being a lesbian woman, <laughs> being uh, a Christian woman, just being all of those different things and not just being all of those things, but also being discriminated against for being all of those things. And um, that's hurtful because a lot of people uh, want to put it off on a different race, but we're discriminated for all of those things from our own race, like she said. And um, not because we're gay or lesbian, um, not because um, we're black, um, but sometimes it's because we're not black enough. And, and that what people don't understand that sometimes it's like uh, we can be discriminated against white people for being black, and then we're discriminated against from black people for not being black enough. So we're in stuck in this middle ground, and then sometimes it's like, where do we, where, where do we go? Where do we, what do we do here? Um, like she was saying with the Black Lives Matter movement, um, we truly, truly feel that all lives matters, and 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 we're okay with that. But we get backlash, and we get um, all these different negative things about what we say well we know all lives matters but right now we're focusing on black are you though <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly and you're focusing on a very particular section of <laughs> black lives right it, absolutely and when we you know specify that you know we just that's just not you know that's not who we are then you know this is like i think someone called her delusional yesterday um and uh, I got backlash on Facebook about saying something about black, uh, all lives uh, mattering. Um, but my wife preached a sermon. Oh, my God, it was a wonderful sermon <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. And um, she 
the part that just really resonated with me was when she was talking about Black Lives Matter, but all lives matter, but she said the one life that matters is the one that was sacrificed on the cross. And that's the one I focus on, um, and that's the one that affirms me. So um, that's kind of where um, my streets <laughs> intersect, mm -hmm. and it's always going to intersect at the cross. Mm -hmm. well, I'm so glad that you all are speaking about this. And one of the main reasons is that I was really interested in this is because you know, again, when we're calling about um, spiritual health and, and meeting people where they are in their intersections, um, you know, we look at statistics of suicide rates. And one of the highest suicide rates, other than the veterans, are uh, teenagers who are in these intersections, right? And so it's like we need to speak about intersectionality or social location and how, how you know, approaches on how, how to help people. Because in essence, that's who we want to save. We want to save the people who are in despair. And, you know, coming from a spiritual perspective is the way to go because despair is a spiritual health issue. Moral injury is a spiritual health issue. And so um, when you're looking at people in their intersections and, and you see that they are maybe in despair, they're so morally injured that they have no hope left, you know, they're hope. They have hopelessness. What, what are some of the things that you would, if somebody were to encounter that, what is something that you would tell a person that, how, this is how you help this person? So when we come across those um, people who are hurting like that, um, I try to walk with them in seeing themselves as important. Um, I try to walk with them in seeing themselves as being created fearfully and wonderfully and that society us what God has already given us which means God created us to be who we are and for us to be able to see within ourselves who we were created to be because the noise of society can cause us to pull that trigger but if we if we if we sit still and hear the spirit within ourselves that is created for us, um, we'll see all the beauty. And it's, it's very tricky um, when people, because we get these two in my inbox, I'm done. Mm. If you don't say something for me, I'm done. Um, so it's tricky and it's hard to talk to people, being that ministry of presence, but also listening to what's not being said and being very careful not to say the wrong thing so what do you, how do you see yourself can you tell me why you see yourself that way has it always been this way it you know it's um, it's a very tedious walk um, but w what I focus on is trying to get them to see what is within them and not what society is throwing at them w what makes you special what 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 do you love about yourself because those are the things that God has created um, and not the things that man places on our heads and on our hearts. Um, and it happens more often than I'd like to, to deal with, but um, just being intentional about hearing and hearing what's not said and um, walking with them where they're going. Just try not to allow them to walk off that edge. So.
Oh boy, when you said teenagers at the intersection, that just that that just grabs me. So I'm gonna try to answer this question without crying because that's like a passion for me. Um, <laughs> I think especially with teenagers, um, I think the the way I try to go is I, I consider myself an an empath. I always say that, um, but. I try to con- I try to think about the way I felt as a teenager, and the, what I had to go through as far as being who I am, um, and even just not just uh, my uh, gender identity, but even my race. You know, because I even had to go through being a darker skinned black woman in high school and things like that. So it was just all of that going on, and um, so I. I, I try to put myself in that position and try to think about what all I had to go through, all the ridicule and all the uh, prejudice and all the discrimination and and then trying to figure out um, puberty and, and who I liked and what I liked and, and did I even like me. Um, so I try to think of what did I need when I was going through that and when I was feeling all of that. What did, what did I need? What did I want from somebody? And I think that feeling all of those things made me feel invisible um, because they were seeing all of the things that were on the surface, but nobody took the time to find out what was on the inside because um, that's where the hurt was, was on the inside. So I think that I try my best just to let kids know and I'm speaking about kids right now just because but I try my best to just let kids know I see you you're visible you are a person you're there you're not just over in the corner somewhere you're not invisible you know I see you and and I notice you and I'm acknowledging you and I think that that's where um that's where it comes from from for me uh, to let them know when they're standing at that intersection and they don't have they don't have anywhere to go they don't know how to cross the street they don't know if they need to go back or just go forward um, that just to be seen and to be acknowledged and to let somebody know that you know let them know that I see you I think that that's a huge step in in a beginning of healing mm-hmm. I would say it's it's never too early and it's never too late um, the congregation at Broadway, um, there's a, you know, a good number of older gay men who, um, you know, have kind of put all their shame in a little box off in the background, um, and who don't necessarily see the ways that that holds them back. Um, but just since I've started, teaching and preaching at Broadway, teaching about shame, teaching, saying every single week, you are loved and worthy of love. Those boxes are starting to open up and that shame is starting to come out and be um, like exercised. <laughs> like it's like, you know, kind of like an exorcism. Um, but this like real spiritual cleansing and healing is happening. And I like, I'm not doing that for them. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not opening that box and saying, hey, look at this, right? Like, I'm simply saying over and over and over again, you are loved and worthy of love. And that they themselves are becoming conscious of their shame 
and they themselves are starting to believe that they are worthy of releasing that shame and living a life that is liberated from it. Um, it's one of, that's also one of the reasons why I dance in worship. Um, I had a congregation member tell me last week that the first time he saw me dance, it freaked him out <laughs> because he thought how much about he, he, he thought about how much courage it, I have to have mm-hmm. that I have. And he thought to himself, there's no way I would have that much courage to get up and move my feet like that in front of other people. You know, and so it's like it's really amazing the ways that transformation happens in relationship. Mm-hmm. Right. Like transformation doesn't happen in a vacuum. Right. Our own personal spiritual growth and development doesn't happen by just sitting in a corner and meditating like okay yeah that's an important piece of it but it also has to happen (laughs) in relationship with other people um, other people who are affirming and unconditionally loving of us so you know this question of like well how do we do it what do we do what do people need Um, it is my I have sort of rewritten that golden rule for myself which is not to Um, treat people the way you want to be treated it's treat people the way they want to be treated because I can't I'm not here to tell you what you deserve I'm not here to tell you how to um how to be Mm -hmm. like I'm here to to be my fullest self and invite you into a space where you are your fullest self Mm -hmm. and your needs are going to be different from mine and so being inclusive and affirming means I get to listen when you say this is where I am and this is what I'm feeling and I don't know what I need, but you're here and that's great. (laughs) So a ministry of presence is definitely valid. (laughs) Wow, Uh, so time has flown on this episode. Dion Lee, I thank you so much for being here. Um, can, Can you give out your information for those to get in contact with you? Like if I want to get in contact with whosoever, how do, how, do I, how do I go about doing that? So we have a website, teamwhosoever.com. We're also on Facebook, Whosoever Community of Faith. Um, you could join that group or hit us up. You can find me at Dion Talisha. I'll be glad to talk with you and share with you as well. And that information is the same for me, <laughs> except for my personal one would be Lee L E Stewart Boyce. Um, if you wouldn't, if you are looking for any type of resources from from me as well. Awesome, Amy. You want to give uh, Broadway's information? Yeah. So our website is Broadway BroadwayChurchKC.org, and um, there's a contact form on that website that comes straight to me. Um, our phone number is on there. That'll get you to the office. Everything's on the website. All right. Well, again, thank you very much for participating. And thank, thank you, you, Amy, for co-hosting. Thank you for being here as our guest. Thank you. Uh, Deanna Lee. Yes. Um, so uh, for the rest of you, thank you for listening. Uh, without you, we would not be able to do this. So until the next time, we'll see you later. And on that note, we'll call that a wrap for this episode of Story Wagon. I want to thank you, the listener, for supporting us and listening to this episode. And if you want, please follow us on any social media platform and type in StoryWagon. You can also visit us at our website, storywagon.org. And so, with that, 
This is Chaplain Jose Martinez wishing you good spiritual health.